Husker Sports Weekly, episode number 85, your one-stop shop for all things Husker Sports. It's been a while, and we have a lot to talk about, per usual, but this time it's like extra because we haven't recorded an episode in about three weeks. We have Husker football, basketball, softball, baseball, anything under the sun. We're going to talk about it today. So join us for the ride. It's going to be a long episode. We'll talk to Nate Rohr, voice of Husker softball, later in the episode previewing the opening game of the Stillwater Regional for the Huskers as they take on North Texas tonight at 5 p.m. So he's got a full preview for that later on in the episode. Great conversation with him. And we'll talk about other Husker sports and just news that has been happening around Lincoln. But before we get into any of that, Connor Clark and Grant Hansen with you. As always, you can find us on Twitter at C underscore Clark underscore 27 and at Hansen 15 underscore Hansen. And you can find our show on Twitter at Husker Weekly and search Husker Sports Weekly in the search bar of your favorite podcast networks. Grant, it's been a while. We've gone through finals week. I'm currently not in the state of Nebraska. What has happened in the past 21 days or so? Well, we've spent a lot of time working. I can I can tell you that. I'm actually uh, coming to you not live uh, for the listeners uh, from the Husker Online offices where I'm just camping out for the next couple hours until the baseball game starts tonight that I'm going to be writing for. So a lot of, yeah, for me, a lot of Husker Online writing stuff, uh, not so much Fremont radio stuff, although I have been doing some stuff for Fremont in the recent uh, days for state tracks. So we've got plenty of that. Plenty of writing things for me, too, outside. Both of us had uh, finals in good old uh, 200B, so I had a couple of stories from there. One has been published, one's going to be published, and so uh, that's all on the way, and it's all been stuff that we've been working on the last, I don't know how many days, quite a few days. Uh, I'm honestly surprised that we haven't had an, an issue recording like this uh, before in the last two years but uh we're back we're better than ever we got a we got a jam-packed prospective guest list for you in the next two weeks three weeks or so yeah i think a part of that is because online school <laughs> was happening when we started this right so that made it a right. little bit easier it but, did yeah. i i'm i think it's also you know we're older so it's a little bit uh more difficult uh, for the classes and it's just that like we also we both had literally the same class schedule for the most part well not literally the same but our our course our journalism college courses were all the same and actually that'll continue for the most part next year too so um, that also made things a little bit difficult um, in some ways it was easier because we could schedule around each other's classes very easy because we we're in the same classes but uh, some ways things are a little bit more difficult um, because, you know, it's not like one of us could do an interview solo or something while the other one was in class because we were both in the same classes. So, um, but yeah, yeah, we're halfway there somehow already. I don't know how that's possible. This year flew and now we're moving into a summer, which is going to be really interesting. There's going to be a lot of, much like, you know, last summer was name, image, and likeness crazy um, with, you know, just the beginnings uh, this summer, I think, is going to be equally name, image, and likeness crazy because there's going to be a lot of ground that's broken uh, in terms of either regulation. It's going to make, I think, it's going to make some big shifts. It could, you know, we could even see, um, you know, the death of the NCAA to some extent. I think within the next uh, year or so, just because of name, image, and likeness and the conferences. I guess this is technically getting into a long ramble that we could have later on uh, in the podcast. But you know, I, I think some of the conferences are kind of getting fed up with a lack of leadership, especially in the nil uh, sector. So uh, anyway, so I think that's one of the things that we've got ahead of us this summer. And, you know, we'll uh, have some CWS. Connor will have some Salt Dogs things and uh, plenty more. Yeah, it's currently why I'm not in the state of Nebraska is because of the Salt Dogs, because they just wrapped up a, a three-game series against the Chicago Dogs out in Rosemont, Illinois, which is about a 25-minute trek south of where I'm at in the lovely northern suburbs of Chicago. So that's what I've been up to, and as Grant mentioned, I mean, he's been doing a, a boatload of writing and, and covering different things all over the state, and you know, I've been kind of trying to get my feet wet in professional baseball, so we've, we've been doing our things, and obviously finals is important, so we have to kind of 
schedule around that, but that is long gone. I, finals feel like an eternity ago, even though it was literally last week. <laughs> yep. So we do have a long summer ahead of us, but that's a good thing because we have a lot to talk about. As Grant mentioned, a little CWS action maybe. That's coming up here in June, so that'll be a lot of fun. Um, and I'll be back in Nebraska in Lincoln on Monday for pretty much the rest of the summer. I'll be gone for a couple of other weeks later in July. But, yeah, it should be a, a lot of fun. As Grant mentioned, a lot of NIL just kind of landscape craziness. I mean, we've seen Jimbo Fisher and Nick Saban go at it here this past week. Uh, we've seen a player dismissed from the Husker baseball program. We've seen Husker softball enter a regional for the first time in five years and win a Big Ten championship title in the tournament as well. Uh, so that's kind of be the highlight of this episode, at least, because A, it's recent, and B, it's it's important. Uh, we've seen a couple of new transfer gets for Husker football and basketball, including O'Shawn Mathis. That was a big get. Um, I know that happened a couple of weeks ago, but Grant and I really haven't had a chance to sit down and talk about this. So let's do that right now. O'Shawn Mathis, a defensive lineman from TCU, we beat and we, Nebraska, beat out Texas in the recruiting for Mathis in the transfer portal, and that was pretty much, I don't want to say all Nebraska flexing the NIL opportunities, but obviously it had a big part to do with the commitment of O'Shawn Mathis. Yeah, it did, but I, I don't think it was the main deciding factor. You know, it seems clear, or at least that's the image that he and his family want to put out, um, that that was not the main the main thing. Uh, his mom has spoken at length about this, about how welcoming Nebraska was. And it's not to say that Texas wasn't, but I think that she felt that her whole family was really included in a way that they hadn't felt anywhere else. Uh, I know uh, Mathis, uh, his, his brother, uh, I believe, is on the spectrum. And, and so Nebraska was very welcoming to him. Uh, and so I think that played a big role. Of course, yes, you would be a fool to say that name, image, and likeness wasn't a part of it. Look, Nebraska founded one of the first of these nil collectives, you know, back in July. Uh, so, look, I mean, that's definitely a part of it. Uh, but it's a huge get for for, for the football team. Uh, it's a huge get for Scott Frost, specifically. You know, I mean, this is we talked last year about being, you know, last year being the, all right, it's got to happen this year or he's going to get fired. And it definitely didn't happen last year, but he didn't get fired. Well, you know, it's, you flip over to this year and it's that times 11, you know? Uh, so, you know, it's a huge get for him. And there are a lot of holes on that defensive line. And they've done a good job of filling those holes recently. And there's a chance, I believe for one more coming up in the next couple of weeks or so from Alabama, um, they've filled the defensive back room. They played the transfer portal pretty well. Um, they've recruited, I think, very well generally. And so it'll be interesting to see what happens because there's a lot that for, and I hate to get too definite or dramatic with things, especially when it's a ways down the line. But I think there's a lot for this program that hinges on this year because, uh, you know, they are building recruiting momentum. I, I think I believe that. I think Mickey Joseph is doing a fantastic job on that front. Uh, Bill Bush starting to do some of that stuff in Kansas City. Uh, so, like, there is momentum being built there, and firing a head coach would certainly kill, uh, I think, a lot of that momentum, even though the assistants, the majority of the assistants would probably stay on heading into the next year uh, because of their contracts. So uh, this is this is a big big year for Nebraska and their biggest hole really for the last six years has been pass rusher since Randy Gregory left actually the last eight years since Randy Gregory left in 2014 this team has not had a true pass rusher and now they're going to get one in O'Shawn Mathis uh, and look it probably came at a cost for the old boosters um, but you know that's what you're going to need to win in today's college football well yeah it comes at a cost but it also comes with the reward of what hopefully is winning on the football field. You mentioned Nebraska has really struggled finding a true pass rusher the past almost decade. So a huge get with O'Shawn Mathis, not only for the program, but for Scott Frost individually. We talked about this last year. We beat this drum to death last year about how it's a make-or-break year for Scott in 2021. Well, it's even more so here in 2022, considering he's still around. And there's still no bowl game appearances. Another transfer get. This one's over on the basketball side. That just a couple of days ago, 
I'm just looking here at Robin Wash's story on Husker Online. Emmanuel, and I'm going to do a terrible job at saying his last name. Basketball season isn't until November, so give me a break. Bandamul, or Bandamel, correct me if I'm wrong, but he's from SMU. So another get for Fred Hoiberg. They also got a walk-on transfer from Arizona State as well. So Hoiberg making some moves in the transfer portal. I think some much-needed moves in the transfer portal. Um, obviously, you have uh, Greasel from South Dakota, so that's a nice nice get there, hometown kid. But uh, a, a couple of good transfer additions. It is Grant mentioned back over on the football side. We have a couple of Alabama guys that are waiting to make their decision. Nebraska could be in the running for them. Um, and it's just going to be a really important summer. And as Grant mentioned, you kind of have to pay. I don't want to say money buys wins, but money certainly helps you win when <laughs> when you can dish it out to players and transfers and really use that leverage as a convincing factor to go to your school. And now we've had many discussions about NIL, whether it's on here or on other radio platforms that Grant and I work for. But despite this hurting smaller schools that are in, say, a group of five or not even a group of five, Nebraska is going to benefit from this. And I know it's getting out of control. And I'm, I'm one of those people who are pro-NIL is kind of getting out of control right now. But it helps Nebraska. And it will give them an advantage in the long run because of the plentiful resources, money, and as Grant mentioned, boosters that Nebraska has at their fingertips that says, like, hey, you want to come play football here? Well, not only will you get a great experience at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, we can give you a little bit of an incentive to come here as well. Yeah, yeah, and that that is going to help Nebraska really at all levels on the recruiting side uh, in all sports. Uh, so uh, when you look a little bit here at Bandamel, uh, you know, one thing, good things, of course, he's averaged double figures his last two years. Um, you know, that's really good, obviously. Uh, but, you know, you got to look at his minutes, 28 minutes uh, in the 2020 campaign, 30 minutes a game this last year. So it's a lot of production. It's a lot of extra time. And his field goal percentage dropped by 4%. Uh, now, 35% three-point shooter, that's a positive. 82% free throw shooter, that's a positive. And again, I think you also have to look at the body of work uh, for Hoiberg over the last three or four years. Uh, and you got to realize that, look, this looks good on paper, but it doesn't necessarily translate. And so we'll have to see as he's challenged once again to compile a roster over the summer that's going to produce. And, you know, you have no five-star this time to back you up. So um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how everything shakes out. Of course, technically still no word on Latman or Trey McGowan's, but I mean, I feel like it's pretty obvious at this point what's going to happen there, uh, and they're not returning. So uh, you're going to need more transfers like Vandemel to come in uh, and, and bring the heat in both interior competition and, of course, once the season begins uh, to the court and in Big Ten play. Well, you mentioned Trey McAllen, so he's out in Chicago with his brother Bryce at the NBA Combine. Now, Bryce got the invitation to the Combine. Trey did not, but... To your point, Grant, I think it is increasingly getting more and more obvious as the days go on that Trey will not be returning, as well as Latman. So, as you mentioned, getting transfers to fill these spots in the roster is going to be extremely important for Fred Hoiberg and his program. If they want to put a successful product on the floor for the first time in his tenure. Yeah, and here's one quote that really does stick out to me, though, from the Robin Washer piece on Husker Online from Bandamel. He says, defense is really my thing. Obviously, I can score, but I really pride myself in locking down whoever I'm guarding and taking them out of the game. I also pride myself on my leadership. I try to be a vocal leader and lead by example at everything I do. There's something about the grit of the game that I just love. And again, last year, um, didn't average a full steal a game, uh, 0.6 steals per game. But, you know, a quote like that has got to be something that Husker fans uh, listening and certainly, I would guess, uh, Hoiberg and company recruiting uh, would have perked their ears up at. And, you know, that's something that was sorely lacking from Nebraska's squad a year ago and a big reason why the Trey McGowan's injury was actually so impactful for this team because they lost a vocal leader and they lost their best defender. 
Yeah, defense is going to be huge. That's something we saw the Huskers struggle with a lot. Uh, we also saw a, a struggling team beyond the arc as well, and that's Fred Hoiberg offense right there for you is, hey, we want to shoot the three ball, we want to get up and down, but you got to play good defense in order to make that happen. So a couple of good gets for Fred Hoiberg and his program, and uh, we'll let's see where his program continues to go as the summer months roll on as we get closer to the fall and to the winter over on the baseball side, Tyler Martin, a pitcher for Will Bolton, his squad, was relieved of his duties, per se, on the Husker baseball program for a violation of team rules. This happened about two weeks ago, but I saw it, and I just kind of glanced at an article real quick about it because I was at work and busy doing finals and, and all this other stuff, but Grant, you write for baseball can you tell us anything more about what you know about that? Or is it just as far as, okay, he broke team rules, no longer there? Right. Uh, so um, I was a part of the break on that story. I broke that story um, pretty similar last year. Um, well, and pretty good sourcing on it. So we had it a day early over at Husker Online. And uh, we broke the Jelkin story as well earlier in the year. It's the same thing. Um the 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 rumor going around uh, with Jelkin and equally there uh, with Martin as well was a failed drug test. I can't confirm that directly, um, but it, it is interesting that you have two relievers uh, that both get you know dismissed for the team from the team for similar reasons. Um, so look, I. <laughs> I think, you know, they're in a position tonight, you know, it's, you got to win the last two games and get a ton of help to make the Big Ten tourney, to make the postseason. Uh, you know, with everything they've lost this year in the pitching side of things, it's almost a shock, really, to, to think that the pitching staff is probably the biggest positive for this team next season. But that is the case. I, I just, they have been dealt what could have been a death blow over and over and over. You think back to the beginning, literally the first game, Jake Buns throws a single pitch before throwing out his elbow. And that was the guy that coming in was in all likelihood, the team's best long reliever, a guy positioned to potentially make starts by the end of the year. So he's gone. Kyle Perry, very early in early in the season, he throws out his elbow too. So there's a guy from your starting rotation then you have Jelkin and Martin at different points in the year uh, removed from the team for violations of team rules. Uh, and then that pull, bullpen lost several guys due to promotion, right? You had to promote Emmett Olsen into that starting lineup. You had to promote Jackson Brockett, a guy who uh, was thought to be kind of a project, a guy that they're looking to build into a starter within two to three years, but he gets called upon because of all that was missing and that was lost. And then you have Drew Christo, too. Uh, Drew Christo, a guy who was heavily scouted by MLB scouts uh, this last summer, and he just has not translated. He has not translated at all to the college game for whatever reason, and that uh, really, for almost any other bullpen, for almost any other pitching staff, would be the end. I mean, it would be awful, and yet there are still guys week to week that this team can put together that can put the offense in a position to win, the bats in a position to win, and night in and night out, for the most part, that's what this team does uh, on the defensive end. They put the bats in a position to win. Now, the problem is the bats have not done a lot of winning for this team, and strikeouts have been this offense's biggest issue all year long, and it hasn't improved an iota uh, from the beginning of the season until now. And so that, to me, tells the story more than anything else. I think the positive of the year is the pitching staff somehow finding a way. The negative, by far, is are the bats, who strike out in crucial situations, who don't come up with timely hits. That, to me, is the biggest red flag heading into the next year. And again, that's assuming that Nebraska does not make the Big Ten tourney, which, as we look ahead to tonight, is fairly likely. Nebraska is a combined team batting average of 248 this year. There are two guys in the entire roster that are batting over 300, and that's Kobe Gomes with 316. He's played in 27 games, and then Garrett Engelham 
with a 304 average. He's played in 47 games. Gomes, 76 at-bats. Englum, 171 at-bats. So obviously a pretty significant margin in between the amount of opportunity those two guys have gotten. But they're the only two that are over 300 on the year. And I think you hit the nail right on the head, Grant. I mean, despite everything that this pitching staff has had to go through and Will Bolt has had to go through trying to construct this pitching staff, you mentioned injuries, blowing out arms, losing guys because of violation of team rules. It's been like this pitching staff has gone through hell and back, starting rotation and bullpen, and yet they still have 21 wins, obviously the 30 losses, and you mentioned two wins to close out the regular season and a ton of help it's going to take for them to make the Big Ten tournament, but you put yourself in a position to win and your offense just can't come through. That's frustrating as, as a team member. That's frustrating as a fan. It's even frustrating, honestly, as a media member, because if you... I mean, I'm going to kind of throw this to a, a fan perspective for myself and watching the Cubs. They have, and they've improved on it a little bit, but they have had so many opportunities with, say, bases loaded or at least two guys on with one out. So a good opportunity to score, right? And they leave them stranded. I feel like that's a similar situation here with Nebraska. Obviously, major league level to college level baseball, big jump, but... That's just kind of my comparison from the baseball that I've watched because it's been Huskers, Cubs, and then I guess Lincoln Salt Dogs, but they've only played six games, so can't really throw them into that conversation just yet. But I think that's kind of my comparison. I don't know. Tell me if you agree with that or not. Yeah, no, I, I don't disagree. I, I'm just um, right now I'm combing over just from my perspective tonight because I got to write tonight about the the situational what Nebraska needs to get in, basically, to the Big Ten tourney. Um, so, uh, and I'm just going to detail that. Sorry, and to just basically <laughs> steamroll past your uh, your illustration. But uh, look, there's a number of things that Nebraska needs to avoid. Uh, a four-way tie between Nebraska, Northwestern, Michigan, and Indiana. Uh, for the last standings, Nebraska would lose out on that one because the tiebreaker goes to RPI, and Nebraska has an RPI of 169, uh, which is the worst of the four teams by a That's long shot. Hell. Now, the good thing is um, ne- Nebraska needed one Northwestern loss to Minnesota, which they got last night, and that game was wild. Okay, Northwestern uh, hit a grand slam. It was either in the bottom of the eighth, uh, yeah, it was the it was the top of the eighth. Northwestern hit a grand slam. The tide at fourteen. There were a ton uh, of crazy games last night. Yeah, and that was not even the craziest one because the Indiana Iowa game, I believe it was like forty. Iowa scored forty runs, if I remember correctly, uh, which was wild because I think Indiana led like nine to two after the first couple of innings, and then Iowa ends up scoring forty runs. I wonder how long um, that game took. Uh, yeah. Um, so anyway, so Northwestern, they ended up tying it with a grand slam. They lose. Um, so Nebraska gets some help there. What the Huskers really need the most is losses by Purdue. And that's the biggest thing. Now, Purdue's taking on Maryland this weekend. They lost the first game 14 to seven. They play again tonight at five. That game's on the big 10 network. And so Saturday's game, uh, at one o'clock. So those are huge games because Nebraska needs Maryland to win both of those games to get in. Uh, and then, of course, the Huskers have to win these next two against Michigan State, which, you know, is obviously not a guarantee. Yeah, and you mentioned a lot of help and just a lot of different situations that Nebraska needs to bounce their way. You mentioned the RPI of 169, the worst of those four teams, so that's not going to help them either in a tie situation. So, I mean, if you're Will Bolton, this is kind of my opinion on it, you just kind of go in there and take it one game at a time, and I'm, I'm sure that's been the approach for the majority of the season. But And here's the thing, too. If Nebraska Nebraska needs to win this series against Michigan State tonight, obviously, and then they got to win Saturday, that would be only the second Big Ten series that Nebraska has won this year. And it would be the first Big Ten series that they've won since they swept Ohio State back, back on April 3rd. So, I mean, that is the levels of 
either mediocrity or failure, depending on how you want to put it, that we've seen on the ball diamond for baseball this year. And that just kind of gives you the probability of what may happen this weekend with Nebraska baseball. Now, you just have to win one game at a time. There's two left, all right? There's two games left. Just throw everything out in the past. Do what you can control. And whatever happens around the Big Ten happens, I guess, because you put yourself in a situation that obviously many didn't envision this team to be in. And I'm sure Will Bolt didn't envision this team to be in that situation as well. But with all the injuries to the pitching staff and the struggles offensively, it's the Huskers really haven't been dealt the best hand defensively with pitching, but they've also failed to improve and do what they can control offensively. And at the end of the day, if your pitching staff, as depleted as it is, gives you an opportunity to score runs, you got to take advantage of that. And if you don't, it's going to cost you. And we've we have definitely no. seen that. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that has been the biggest issue. This team has never fired on all cylinders all year long. I mean, even think back to that Sunday game against Illinois last week where, you know, Nebraska, if they win that game, they move up to fifth in the Big Ten standings. They win the series against Illinois. It would have been huge. Uh, they get a 4 nothing lead early on a Kobe Gomez grand slam, which was huge. And then they just... They had a couple of rain delays, but they just started to falter. I mean, slowly, Illinois walked their way back into it. One more two-hour rain delay before the ninth inning. And, I mean, Nebraska just totally comes apart and loses that game on a walk-off. And it's just a crushing, crushing defeat. Uh, And then you think back to Oral Roberts earlier this week. Nebraska scores nine runs against, what are they, Golden Eagles? Uh, I don't know what they are exactly. Um, you can maybe look that up. <laughs> but um, but Michigan State, they only score one in the ninth on a hit-by-pitch. They load the bases with one out, and they don't score after the hit-by-pitch. It was two strikeouts, and the last one goes is, is a looking K. So, I mean, again, it's just this frustrating, well, they didn't even start working on the offensive end until the bottom of the freaking ninth. Uh, especially after they had a great approach on Tuesday. And then on Sunday, they can't score more, enough runs after the Grand Slam to really put Illinois away. And then the pitching staff can't even preserve the 4 nothing lead. And, of course, it's not all on that pitching staff. I mean, if you look at the box score in that one, Nebraska has two errors. And I believe one in the ninth inning. Yeah, one in the ninth inning. Uh, so, <clears throat> excuse me, I, it's just... It's just this team is kind of, in some ways, kind of, I guess, a comedy of errors would be a great way to describe it because it's never been the same thing that's doomed him. They've had continuity missing everywhere. Um, the only position, you know, that they've had the same guy locking down all year long has been catcher, uh, and that's Griffin Everett. I, I, nobody else, uh, has. there's been not an iota of consistency anywhere else, even in the, in the pitching staff, in the batting lineup, in the order. It's just been nowhere. And that's included the ways that they've lost. Uh, they've had a number of odd ways that they've blown leads. Yeah, consistency is kind of the name of the game. You are correct, by the way. It is the Oral Roberts Golden Eagle. Their mascot's name is Eli. I also learned that. So Eli the Golden Eagle. But, yeah, I mean, you got to have consistency to win baseball games. And that kind of goes back to the batting averages that I was talking about earlier. Only two guys above 300 in this Husker lineup. And that's good enough for a 248 batting average overall. So consistency is key. I know it's an old saying, but I mean, especially in baseball, like really, especially in baseball. Baseball is one of the hardest games to play, especially as a hitter, and to be good at it. I mean, three for ten is considered good in baseball. Thirty percent is considered good in baseball. It is a hard game, but if you can't be consistent at it that's when you're going to really run into trouble. And that's what we've seen here the past couple of months with this team. And that's kind of what it comes down to. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's just, it's it's befuddling in some ways. Uh, and you can already see, you know, the coaching staff is is bringing in, like to me, you know, one of the things we've heard a lot about in the last week or so is how they're going to really hit the JUCOs hard. And they're going to look to bring in guys 
with some amount of experience. To me, that's like a very obvious message being sent to the players currently on the roster that they're going to bring in recruits this next year, this next offseason that are going to compete immediately for jobs. And some guys are going to lose their jobs. And the other guys who keep their jobs are going to be forced to compete and they're going to be forced to up their game. And so I think you can tell with the coaching staff itself that there is a an added sense of urgency that this year has brought on, especially considering I think if you, if you asked Will Bolt in the fall, uh, after the fall season had been done about, you know, the confidence level he had in this team and their, their batting approach, the bullpen, all of this stuff, uh, I think he would have been very, very high. And I think he was very confident after a very strong fall. The problem is there's been a number of things, injuries, you know, bad off-field decisions, uh, unexplained inconsistencies uh, that have totally derailed this season. And tonight it very well could come to an end. It could very well come to an end. We'll see two games left between Nebraska and Michigan State this weekend. Friday and Saturday, go check out Grant's writing material on Husker Online for the next two games as he's been doing all season oh, long. The- I've got I've got one more. Abby's one got more? uh Okay. Yeah, yeah, Abby Barmore is on Saturday's game, so Well you can read hers too, but read Grant's you could. tonight. Just go read go read Husker Online and everybody will be happy, okay? Just do that. But let's go to the other sport on the diamond and we'll preview this and then we'll bring in our interview with Nate Rohr shortly after, but Husker softball playing at a regional for the first time in five years tonight. 5 p.m. against North Texas in the Stillwater Regional, hosted by none other than Oklahoma State. This is a big deal, obviously. AT gave winning streak midway through the season, then Nebraska starts to see a little bit of struggles, but then they clean it up, and they win the Big Ten Tournament and become Big Ten Tournament champions for the first time in school history, Rhonda Ravel is a flat-out winner. I don't know how else to describe her because that's all she does. This lineup from top to bottom has been extremely fun to watch. And Farrell and Wallets have just done their thing in the circle all year long. They've set themselves up for a lot of success here in this postseason. Yeah, they have. It's it's going to be exciting. There's, a, there's not a whole lot of postseason experience on this Nebraska roster apart from the coaching staff. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. They're going to be thrown right into the fire in this environment in Stillwater this weekend. Uh, you know, it, North Texas, it appears, will be a challenge tonight for this team. It's not going to be a gimme game um, by any stretch of the imagination. And so it's exciting. It's exciting because it's, it's the postseason, and you never know what can happen in the postseason. Any, any run can come together. I think the thing, especially when you juxtapose it with the baseball team from this year, uh, that's so astounding about this year's softball team is the grit. That's the thing that sticks out to me the most. Because you think back to Nebraska baseball a year ago, the thought process is gritty, not pretty, right? And I think if you look up and down Nebraska baseball in 2022, what you find is, I don't know if they've got a gritty win on the roster. I, I, I don't think they've got a gritty win on the schedule, rather. So on the you juxtapose that with Husker softball and the Big Ten tourney, and each win they had in every round you know, going right down to the championship game with Michigan where they were behind late and managed to tie it and then proceed to win it in extra innings. Or correction, no, sorry, they managed to hold on. They managed to hold on late uh, with a really, really astounding Michigan rally in the bottom half of the seventh inning. And they win every game with grit. And, And so to me, that's one of the defining characteristics of this team this year that doesn't get talked about a whole lot and I think is the most impressive, and we'll see it on full display this weekend. Again, you never know what can happen because it's the postseason. Well, let's talk to the voice of Husker softball. He will break down tonight's matchup and the rest of the Stillwater Regional. Here's our interview with Nate Rohr. Nate Rohr joins us on Husker Sports Weekly. He is the voice of Husker softball, and they have a big game today in the Stillwater Region as they begin their postseason quest towards a softball national championship they take on North Texas today at 5 p.m., which is May 20th, a Friday for reference. 40 and 14 are the Huskers. Obviously, if you've paid any attention to them, they've had a magical season this year, and that has included an 18-game winning streak along the way and a Big Ten tournament championship. And here to talk about it today is Nate Rohr. Nate, thanks so much for joining us. 
Glad to be here. It's been a terrific year for Husker softball. So moving into this regional game against North Texas, kind of tell us what you know about North Texas. What kind of matchup should we expect to see between Nebraska and I believe it's the mean green of North Texas? You are correct. The mean green. It's it's a rare matchup. The Huskers uh, are playing North Texas for just the second time in school history. Uh, they played them back in 2011 down in Denton. Uh, my recollection of that game is that Taylor Edwards hit a ball that I was worried would get on I-35, which ran just beyond the ballpark. But uh, at any rate, this is a North Texas program that's been on the rise. Uh, They are in the NCAA regional for the first time uh, in their program's history. Uh, Their their head coach is Rodney DeLong, who's in his fourth year uh, at North Texas. rolled its way through the conference USA tournament. Um, they outscored their opponents 26 to four in that CUSA tournament. So this team is on a high right now. They're hitting the ball well. They've got a couple of pitchers uh, that you have to deal with. Ashley Peters, who is a transfer uh, from Purdue, is the leader of their staff, an ERA around two and a half for her. Uh, and then they also have a second pitcher in Skylar Savage, who's turned in a pretty nice freshman year. So there are some reasons to worry against North Texas, but, you know, Conference USA isn't a terribly tough league, and uh, and you feel like this Nebraska team presents plenty of its own challenges. They come in hot. They're pitching the ball well. Uh, they really rode their pitching to that Big Ten tournament championship, so should be a good matchup, and, of course, it's so important uh, in double elimination play to win your first round game because it makes your path to a regional championship so much shorter. So very important game. I, I don't think Nebraska is taking it lightly in any respect. Um, it's a North Texas team that may not be a name brand, but certainly a program uh, that will present some challenges for the Huskers. Now, when you look at the Huskers this year, just from top to bottom lineup wise, it's been really impressive. You can pull out names such as Billy Andrews, Maya Felder, a couple of pitchers, I mean, Courtney Wallace, and obviously Olivia Farrell, who's been a household name here for two years now. What do you think has been the brightest spot of this Husker lineup this year, and who do you expect to have a big postseason? Well, I I look toward that two, three, four, five spot in the order. And, you know, Cami Barra had such a terrific uh, Big Ten tournament, and she has been such a steadying force for this team and for this program. She's playing her best ball of her Husker career. Uh, and, And so that really culminated with what she was able to do out in East Lansing at the Big Ten tournament. Maya Felder has been really consistent after the first couple of weeks of the year. I I think it just took her a little bit to settle into the team, settle into the program. Uh, But she's done that and done really well. And then, you know, perhaps the most surprising player for me was Abby Squire, who's uh, been an all-conference player. And, uh, you know, coming into the year, she had a pretty nondescript freshman year. You know, she was in the lineup a little bit last year, but not a mainstay and not somebody that, frankly, I was expecting a whole lot out of. But as I talked to people around the program, they really lauded her work ethic and the intention with which she does her business. And it's obviously paid dividends because she's one of the best hitters in the Big Ten Conference and had a terrific year, and she's played great defense as well. So, Uh, You know, those three have kind of spearheaded this thing, especially in the second half of the year, as Billy Andrews' production has uh, slowed down a little bit. Uh, Teams are really pitching her carefully. Sydney Gray's been solid for the Huskers, but she hasn't quite had that that high-level, top-notch production that Felder or Ibarra or Squire has had, but... You know, the biggest thing about this Husker lineup is the fact that one through nine, you have people you have to deal with. And, and, you know, throughout the year, whether it was Caitlin Neal, whether it was Eva Breadwell, 
at various points, Peyton Gladder for a time was hitting really well. At various points, everybody has had their hot streak, their time when they've really shouldered a big load in carrying this offense, which has made it so dangerous, the fact that there's really been a new hero basically every week. Nate, one person I think I'm kind of interested in hearing your perspective on is Ava Bredwell. Uh, she's She wins the Big Ten Freshman of the Year Award, but kind of quietly in some ways. Bats 318 on the year, and I think in some ways it's because she's switched off with the more experienced senior catcher and Ani Raley, and some of that's been based off of the pitcher too. But what do, what do you make of her season and what she can provide for Nebraska heading into the postseason? Well, she's been a very useful bat to this team. Uh, she has slumped a little bit, and you wonder if some of that is the fatigue of going through a longer softball season than she's ever gone through being a freshman. Um, and, but yet she has produced for this team. She came up with a big pinch hit during the Big Ten tournament, and then she ended up starting the uh, conference tournament final. Uh, but she has been a useful piece in this lineup in building greater depth toward the bottom of the order and, and really serving as somebody who can be a bridge from the very potent top half that has been consistent really throughout and, and bridging to the bottom half where, uh, you know, you don't really expect a lot of contribution, but there have been times where Ava has certainly hit as well as anybody in this lineup. And, uh, you know, defensively, I think she, she has a little improvement yet to make, um, but offensively, she's no question gotten the job done. Another thing I'm curious on hearing your thoughts about our expectations and the way that the softball team has adjusted and evolved uh, with the changes in those expectations throughout the year. You begin the year, there's not a whole lot of expectations surrounding the team, and then as the year's gone on, they've had more and more expectations put upon them and more and more attention from the fan base. How has the team kind of, in your estimation, dealt with that change over the course of the season? Well, as things have changed around them, they've tried to hold consistent uh, to a very focused mindset. This team's talked a lot about how hard they've worked on uh, on the character of this team, and it has borne fruit, and it's really allowed them to perform at a high level throughout the year. But, you know, let's be honest, this week is going to be a test of that because not just did Nebraska make its first regional in five years, but they stormed through the Big Ten tournament. They beat three elite pitchers. You know, that's a big emotional high. And Ronda Ravel talked about it this week that, you know, when the Huskers went out to practice on Monday, uh, they were they were putting out good effort. They were focused, but there was just something missing. And there was a, a top you know, there was gear missing, basically, uh, as the Huskers took the field for practice on Monday. And so Ronda Ravel cut practice short. And sometimes, you know, this time of year, it, rest is better, is the best practice, really. Uh, you've gotten as many reps as you need. You've worked on as much as you need to work on. Uh, now the team's worked hard the last couple of days. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's a mental challenge. And this team has embraced that mental challenge to this point. But this is stepping up a level as far as having to deal with the excitement of a Big Ten tournament championship, playing in regionals for the first time in five years, playing in an atmosphere uh, should Nebraska face Oklahoma State that's going to be pretty supercharged. Uh, we've been told that this regional is sold out, that people will be allowed to just mill around the ballpark, and so there will be a tremendous energy and support behind Oklahoma State. Uh, and this will be as hostile an atmosphere as Nebraska has seen. So uh, the mindset and the mental focus has been so important to this point for this team, but they're going to have to even lean on that a little more as, as they go into the regional round. Now heading into the regional round, as you mentioned, Nate, they kind of, I don't want to say cruise through the Big Ten tournament, but they only gave up three runs in three games. They won against Penn State 3-1, to one, then they beat Ohio State 2-1, to one and then beat Michigan in the championship game 3-1 to one in eight innings. So you have that momentum rolling for you. And Ronda Ravel, she's just a flat-out winner when it comes to softball, and she owns a 
ridiculous percentage of the overall wins in this softball's program. So you match her mentality to win and the momentum that Nebraska carries into this regional. How do they effectively use it? I know you just mentioned maybe rest is the best practice at this point in the year, but how do they take that momentum into a hostile environment in Oklahoma State? Well, you know, I think they do what they have done to this point. That's another thing Coach Ravel's pointed out to this team is that, you know, you don't need to do anything special. What you are and what you have brought to the table to this point is enough. And so it's just making sure that the moment stays in its proper perspective. It's great. It's important. It's exciting. But in the end, this is the sport that these women have played for 15, 18, 20 years. And so it's just a, a, a situation where you, you have to live in that perspective and that understanding uh, that this is what you've done. There are more people here. There's more hype here. There are maybe more eyeballs on it. But as far as just you know having to do anything too crazy, you don't have to. It just just play the game that's gotten you this far and, and and try to block out the rest as best you're able to do that. Nate, one thing I also want to see if you can shed some more light on is that Oklahoma State environment that's coming this weekend. I think I remember, I can't remember if it, I think it was in the Big Ten Championship game uh, where I was listening to your broadcast and you had talked about how the Texas coach had ended up flipping off the Oklahoma State dugout. Uh, is that the level of, of competition uh, and energy that Husker fans can expect to see this weekend on the big screen? Yeah, yeah. This is, this is going to be a tough atmosphere. Uh, and, and really, I, I mentioned that uh, Mike White uh, saluted uh, after a disputed call, but I think his dispute was more with, um, with the umpires than it was Oklahoma State, uh, as I've read more about it. Uh, but this Oklahoma State program is really intense, and we were at Cowgirl Stadium yesterday for the usual uh, pre-regional workout, and just the construction of the stadium, it's basically straight up, and the fans are right on top of you. The one sort of saving grace is that there are there aren't stands down the foul lines to where it's all the way down the line or even as far down the foul line as it was at, say, Wisconsin or Ohio State. But but there are big party porches out in left field, and my understanding is their fans enjoy themselves to the full out there and, and, and like to interact with the opposing left fielder. And uh, that's just stuff you don't encounter a whole lot in college softball. You're starting to run into it more uh, with the with engaged student sections, engaged opposing fan sections, uh, but it, but it's still not common at this point. So it, it's going to be as intense an atmosphere as we've run into. Uh, and you know, I should point out that we've had a couple of intense hostile atmospheres the india or the uh wisconsin games toward the end of the regular season out in madison uh a couple of games at ohio state were standing room only even the big 10 championship game in east lansing yeah it wasn't michigan's stadium but we just as well have played that thing in ann arbor because uh Secchia Stadium was jam-packed with maize and blue, and the Huskers were able to deal with it to their extreme credit. So they've had some practice in tough atmospheres, and sometimes it's not been the case. So hopefully that serves them well here. But make no mistake, they're going to be challenged by the atmosphere here in Stillwater. It's not going to be a passive bunch just encircling the field, sitting there on their hands, taking in the game. All right, and you mentioned that, Nate, and kind of playoffs, no matter what kind of sport it is, if you're the visiting team, you want to try and embrace that atmosphere when you're on the road and everybody in the stadium wants you to lose. But that's also part of the fun of it, right, in in playoff ball. So let's kind of dive into North Texas a little bit more. I know you mentioned a couple other players' names earlier in the interview, but 
Looking at their past five games, they've won four out of the last five. They've scored 12, 11, and 9 in three of those four wins. And they pretty much cruise through the Conference USA tournament. So Nebraska has momentum, but North Northern Texas has a pretty good amount for themselves. And, oh, not to mention, this is their first regional in school history. Yeah, neither team has a whole lot of regional experience. I, I would normally point to the fact that it's their first regional and go, well, that's an advantage for Nebraska. And I I still think to an extent it is just because, you know, the vast majority of people in that North Texas program have not been a part of a team going to regionals. And, you know, beyond just playing good competition, there are the logistics of regionals. How do you scout? How do you prep? How do you prep for the other two teams in a regional? Um, so at least from the coaching staff standpoint, of course, Nebraska has an edge there as Ron Ravel and Lori Sippel have finished in 21 regionals. Um, but as far as the players on the field, Nebraska has only two players with regional experience. So it's not like there's a big edge there. I think both teams will be just sort of trying to feel out an NCAA atmosphere as they go and, and not... You know, neither team has an edge as far as having been here before, having played a whole lot on the stage, uh, and and feeling like they know precisely what to expect. Nate, what's the biggest challenge Nebraska faces this weekend? Well, I think it's getting through the Oklahoma uh, Oklahoma State pitching staff. Um, Miranda Ellis, who had been their ace and really, really good. Uh, through the first couple months of the season, hasn't pitched in about a month due to an injury. Uh, and yet Kelly Maxwell has stepped up for Oklahoma State. Uh, so the Cowgirls have one of the best pitching staffs in the country. Uh, and that was apparent as they made their run through the Big 12 tournament. So I think it's trying to get offense going against Oklahoma State is the biggest challenge. That's not to say, oh, it'll be easy to shut down OSU's lineup and North Texas will be a walkover or whatever. But uh, I, ju- I just think it's going to be very difficult to generate offense against a great Oklahoma State pitching staff. Now turn that around. Uh, where's the area that Nebraska has the biggest advantage this weekend? I think the lineup depth. I, I think the fact that you have to deal with Nebraska's lineup one through nine. Uh, there's not an easy point. And, you know, whether it's a first-round game, whether it's in the space of a single game, or, you know, it's throughout a weekend, uh, a lineup will break through. A nine-person lineup will break through and come up with a big hit and get something going. Uh, so I think the consistency and the depth of the lineup is where Nebraska is going to have an edge. I mean, Olivia Farrell and, and Courtney Wallace are pitching pretty well right now, and that will help. But, um, you know, throughout the season, I think Oklahoma State's been just a step ahead in terms of pitching. So I think it's the lineup depth where Nebraska will have a little edge. Now, you mentioned the two pitchers, Wallace and Farrell. We've seen a little bit of Kinney this year. Do you expect it to be just exclusively Wallace and Farrell, or do we see a little bit of Kinney here and there? Oh, I think Kaylin Kinney will be a factor this weekend. Uh, softball is, has evolved so much in, in my tenure of covering it, where it used to be you went in NCAA regionals with your star, if you happen to have a second, it was good. Well, you know, now it's almost compulsory to have two very good pitchers. And Nebraska has that and Farrell and Wallace. But Kaylin Kinney has stepped up of late to where she's been a useful uh, piece in the circle. And so I think she'll have a role this weekend. Exactly what that looks like. Is it just taking innings off Farrell or Wallace? Um, is it giving an opponent a different look if, say, Nebraska plays somebody twice this weekend? I don't know, but uh, I would be far from surprised if if all three pitched this weekend, in large part because Kalen Kinney's deserved uh, some regional time if some innings are available. 
All right. Well, Nate, we really appreciate you joining us here today, previewing the regional between Nebraska and North Texas down in Stillwater, Oklahoma. You can catch Nate's broadcast later on today on the Husker Radio Network. Nate, thanks so much for the time today. Hey, glad to help out. Thanks for having me. That was Nate Rohr, the voice of Husker softball, previewing the Stillwater Regional, Nebraska, North Texas tonight, 5 p.m. on ESPN+. And they will try and get a regional win and play in their first regional for the first time in five years. State track was over this past week-ish, I yes, week, weekend, slash everything, I don't know, but there was a lot going on there. Well, yeah, yeah, it's it's a... It, it's a new setup, yeah. It's uh, so they. I believe they used to do all classes on the same on two days, and now they've broken it up because of COVID. They uh, decided, I think, a couple of years ago or last year, because it would have been last year, because they wouldn't have had it in twenty twenty. So they went uh, classes A and B on Wednesday and Thursday, and then C and D on Friday and Saturday, and so they just stuck with that, uh, and so. What we've got uh, is what we've already got completed is Wednesday and Thursday state track. I was there for all those. I'll be there for the championship Saturday tomorrow uh, for for classes C and D. And there, there are some Husker targets, Husker commits uh, competing in there, including uh, Benjamin Brommer of Pierce, and then of course uh, Malachi Coleman, who is getting obviously a lot of runs. So. We could take, and there was also. Let's not forget this. Tim Miles' son was competing, uh, so he was uh, for Lincoln East. So he was in there uh, getting some action. I saw Tim out there yesterday. I didn't get a chance to talk to him. Um, I wish I, I kind of wish I could have. Kind of got away from my uh, little radio setup there, just doing these hourly updates. But uh, so yeah, so a lot of different stuff, and it's interesting because Coleman, who I mean, we know. Coleman is intensely competitive. Uh, he did not do any interviews afterwards, uh, after his press conference, or no, sorry, after state track, because he didn't win a single medal. Or sorry, he didn't win a single event correction, uh, yeah. which was really kind of surprising in a lot of ways. He was very, very, very close, uh, specifically uh, in the 200, uh, the Class A 200, the final that was yesterday. It was a really, really fascinating race uh, between Coleman, who finished second, and then uh, Cole, I think it's, uh, I'm going to butcher his name, Gigoli, uh, Gigoli, I I see, it's bad, but uh, Jack Gilogi, Gilogli, from Creighton Prep, uh, and it was a amazing race Jalen Lloyd of Omaha Central was in it too Lloyd had a fantastic weekend set the record in the triple jump and then had it it would have been an all class all state record and then had it rescinded because of wind assistance later on um which is kind of an interesting technicality so he's he still won the event but the class a record went to the kid from Lincoln Pius the 10th who finished in second place so all that aside Jalen Lloyd though stock rising for him uh, we'll be interesting to see what he does, puts together this fall football season from Omaha Central. Uh, but Jalen Lloyd was in that 200-meter race. But Coleman finishes second place, led from the majority, probably up to the last 10 meters. And uh, Galogli of Creighton Prep basically just beat him on the lean. And he finishes with a time of 21.33 seconds to Coleman's 21.34 seconds. So literally a hundredth of a second from claiming a medal there. Uh, ben Brommer of Pierce in action. Uh, as well, and uh, his Blue Jays finished uh, down on that list over at seventh. Uh, but Brommer uh, competed in some hurdles, made the finals. I think he medaled there, got seventh or eighth. Yeah, seventh, uh, or no correction, eighth. He got eighth there. Uh, but future Husker tight end and a current commit there uh, for the Blue Jays appears. So that that was fun. Last couple of days being out there, got plenty of sun, got plenty of sunburn. Uh, and then I'll I'll have Saturday too, and there is uh, an Ainsworth uh, kid there on 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 Saturday that I'll get a, a chance to look at, um, who is currently an owner of a Nebraska offer, and then Koa McIntyre out of uh, Fremont Bergen, uh, I believe he will be there as well. Um, I believe it's Koa McIntyre, uh, but he had, he just picked up an offer from Iowa, has one from Minnesota, so uh, the Fremont Bergen. 
standout uh, yet to get an offer from Nebraska well, that could come later on this year. State track is a former track athlete in high school myself. I can't say I made it that far, but you know, I knew people who did that, but I could never make it that far. But I mean, that's that's impressive stuff. That wind assistance technicality is actually super fascinating. Yeah, yeah. It's it. I mean, it has to be so frustrating i can't even imagine um mainly because like okay i get it like in sprints makes sense uh but it makes it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me in the triple jump like in a hundred meter sprint okay you get a an assist there that makes sense um by the way the ainsworth kid i believe is carter nelson uh who in the high jump just cleared 610 and claimed first i think uh for that one i believe it's carter nelson uh, I might have to. I'll, I'll do a couple, a little bit more digging on that. Um, but uh, and then it is Coa McIntyre for Fremont Bergen. But yeah, that was fascinating because we were all reporting on it because it was an insane jump. I mean, the triple jump is usually longer, somewhere in the forty feet range for the boys in Class A. Um, but Lloyd from Central hit fifty feet three and a half inches uh, on his triple jump, which was I think an inch ahead of the previous all class record. And so. And they announced like three hours later that they that he was still going to get the gold, but oh. they wouldn't give him the record, uh, which was just like okay, I what? thought you were saying that they just so took anyway away the so that was together. I'm like that was the other day. Yeah. No, I mean, but the state record has a lot more value um, because it would have been yeah. all classes, so every school in Nebraska, and it would have set the record not only at the state meet, yeah, but in that event ever in the state of Nebraska. So I mean, it would have been a huge, huge honor. Um, but the wind assist well, that's interesting ended stuff up taking there, that away. for sure. And state track. When does that end? Is it over now? No, it, it'll end. Uh, well, class A and B are done. Um, but you will see class C and D competing on uh, Saturday and then on on Sunday. I'm just checking up on that Nelson. Yeah, Nelson just received an offer from Nebraska back on May 11th. So he's the Ainsworth grad who has won the high jump already as a Friday afternoon. Uh, but I'll get a chance to see him tomorrow compete on championship Saturday in Class C. Uh, and then also Koa McIntyre, uh, who is not, does not yet have well, a Nebraska offer from Archbishop Bergen. Nebraska prep sports and high school sports. And this video has been going nuts today. And I first saw it, and I'm sure many people have heard of him, but that Go Big Ready account, I first saw this video on that. The walk-off home run for Millard West. How about that? It was on John Boy Media on Twitter today as well, and that is a pretty well-followed Twitter page, and I follow it as well because I think they put out some funny stuff about Major League Baseball. But a walk-off winner for Class A state championship, I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. The atmosphere at UNO for that was... It looked unbelievable, too. The place was packed shoulder to shoulder. I, were you there for that or for any of those games? No, I wasn't. I wish I was, though. And I saw the scores initially. And, you know, of course, you get down towards the bottom of the barrel with those pitching staffs when you get to, you know, the last day of a state tourney or really any tourney. Uh, but, you know, it was an early big lead. And I'm trying to remember if it was Millard South or Millard West who were ahead by that that much um but i think it was i think it was millard south that that was ahead perhaps i gotta figure this out now because i can't remember if it was right but they were winning big i mean eight runs and then the other millard clawed all the way back um and and made a real game of it and then it had that finish uh so that whole thing was was absolutely fascinating because at one point uh millard west led nine to nothing and then the, you know the final score, Miller West wins it on a walk off, a home run, no less, eleven to ten. I mean that that was fantastic, and it's a great end to a great year in Nebraska prep sports. Um, there was a lot of great great stories. You think about, and you know, Ashton Greenwood's buzzer beater win over Auburn in the Class C one basketball uh, title. You think back to the Class A title and that just absolute knockdown drag out brawl between Gretna and Westside and then the controversy that followed. Uh, so, you know, obviously that's a negative for most people. Um, but you know, the drama was just absolutely fascinating. 
there. And so, yeah, a very entertaining, uh, very great year for Nebraska we prep a great year for athletics. That, and it'll be a fun summer for both of us doing work at our respective places slash outlets slash whatever you want to call them. But uh, I'll, throw, I'll throw in a little salt dog update here. I'll probably do that throughout the summer, whether people listening – are super invested or not. I know it's American Association Baseball, but so far through two series, four and two under Brett Jody for the second straight season, they beat Sioux Falls Canaries on Friday and Sunday of last weekend, and then they took two of three from the defending Northern Division champion Chicago Dogs this week. That series concluded yesterday. So currently sitting at four and two, they scored eight runs twice in this series against the Chicago Dogs. Won both of those games. They had an ugly loss in the middle of both of those wins, but nonetheless, they win the series. They're in Gary this weekend to take on the South Shore Railcats in a three-game set, and then they're back at home Tuesday through Sunday between the Sioux City Explorers, and then I believe it is Winnipeg, the Gold Eyes that come into town as well. So six-game homestand. Yes, Winnipeg. Apparently, they're oh, crazy Winnipeg. about their gold eye baseball up there. That's what I've heard. So, I mean, their stadium looks really <laughs> cool. They have like the city like right behind it too, so like you can see like all the buildings and stuff. Like Winni- Winnipeg is not the smallest of markets, obviously. So, that'll be an interesting matchup as well. And then after that, they go on the road to Kansas City to take on the defending American Association champions in the Monarchs. They hit 145 home runs, or 147 home runs in 100 games last year. So they hit a lot of home runs, and they score a lot. So that'll be a tough series for the Salt Dogs. But that's that's my little update um, on them. They're 4-2, and two, and they'll be back in town on Tuesday. We need to get a... We need... We need to get a little sound buzz for your uh, to put in the podcast for the uh, Salt a, Dogs updates this summer. Or whatever we can... <laughs> I mean, it's got to be really cheesy. We got to make it you like just over throw the in top. A fake sponsorship and everything. Just do whatever. But yeah, that that'll, yeah. that'll yeah. be my my little thing towards every single episode this summer, uh, unless they just start absolutely being terrible. But I think I think they'll be pretty good this year. I think the, the roster is pretty good. But yeah, we're nearing June. Lots to talk about over the summer. We're nearing football season, and just obviously the Kool Aid is being poured yet again, but that was expected as always. And uh, we'll be back pretty consistently, hopefully, um, throughout these Fridays and depending on our schedules, but we plan on being pretty consistent here throughout the summer. So we hope you enjoyed it. That'll do it for us on episode number 85 of Husker Sports Weekly. We welcomed Nate Rohr to the program to preview tonight's Stillwater Regional game between Nebraska and North Texas. Big one there talked about all of the Nebraska.